credit scores, down payments, interest rates. Car buying can be a numbers game, but you don't have to be a math expert to get the keys to your dream car. Just use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. Crunch your numbers and get personalized results so you know exactly how much you'll pay each month for your car. It's like having a magic wand for your wallet. Presto! The car you've been wanting is now within reach. So hit the road and leave your calculator at home. Auto Trader. Oh, hi. I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark, and there's Charles W. Chuck Bryant, and there's Jerry over there. This is Stuff You Should Know, Fairy Tale Edition. Jerry is supposedly on vacation. Yeah, what's going on? But she came in here just for us. Why, Jerry? I think she feels beholden. That's nice. Which is weird because she's, we've had guest producers. I don't know. Maybe she feels like her job is threatened. <laughs> is today the day I die? No. Oh, geez. I hope and not. Jerry knows it. Can we at least get these two in the can first? Yeah. Well, that, probably. Unless something really crazy happens in the next hour and two. Yeah. That'll give me time to get in touch with like the five people I have on my list to replace you. Yeah. I know, <laughs> I know the five. Bono. <laughs> right. Obama. Right. Michael Stipe? Michael Stipe, Bobby Fischer. I think there was one more. I can't remember. Bobby Fischer? A chess player. Yeah, that's a little random. Well, I want to correct that episode. And Optimus Prime. (laughs) That's the fifth one, right? That's right. Yeah. Uh, Chuckers. Have you ever heard a fairy tale before? Yeah, we... uh... We did two very good episodes. Oh, if you say so yourself, huh? No, these were good. I don't often say that, but in November of 2015, mm-hmm. we did a back-to-backer with uh, the dark origins of fairy tales mm-hmm. and how the Grimm's fairy tales work, or the Grimm brothers. We had fairy tale fever. We did, but man, we licked it. So did you go back and listen to them, and, and you're like, wow, these are good, or you just remember them being good? I remember them being good. Okay. And being especially like kind of proud of those two. Really? Mm-hmm. That's fantastic, man. Yeah. That's how I feel about um, your limb is torn off. Now what? <laughs> that was a, a good one. That's a good title. About reattachment surgery. Remember that? Yeah, I think that, that title is all you. That's a Josh Clark title. You've got some one. good titles out there, too. Yeah. Yeah. What's the deal with blank? You know who's really good at coming up with titles? Mm. Bono. Yeah. Where the streets have no name. <laughs> right. Where the, the where the streets have no drums. How's that for a teaser? Damn, dude, you just <laughs> did it. So we're talking about fairy tales today. Specifically, specifically, we're talking about the fairy tale of the Pied Piper of Hamlet. Mm-hmm. And as far as fairy tales go, it seems to be a little different than other fairy tales. Okay. And the reason why it's a little different is because, horrifically, mm-hmm. it's... People think scholars, not just, you know, average jokes, right? Like (laughs) real deal scholars think that something actually happened that formed the basis of this fairy tale. Right. Whereas with Hansel and Gretel, it wasn't based 
on some witchy lady who ate children. No, but that one might have had some basis in fact, too. How about like uh, Rumpelstiltskin? Probably not based in fact. Probably not. Right? You yeah. remember the little guy who like you, you, you trick him into saying his own name backwards? The, the little maybe? guy with the big heart? I don't think no. he had a big heart. <laughs> he had an insatiable sexual appetite is what it was. Oh, the little guy with the big heart was Bono. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, we're going to get so many emails from people being like, lay off Bono. What's, what's with the Bono references? Who's Bono? Yeah. He, they must work with that Bono guy. I wish. <laughs> so, Chuck, um, the Pied Piper, the reason why we say it might be based in fact is because there's actual, like, historic evidence that kind of supports this thing. And you can find it in this town of Hamlin, which is a real place. Mm -hmm. It's not a made-up, like, fairy tale land like, sure. you know, Oz. There's your first clue. Yeah. Most fairy tales are not set in an actual place, right? Uh, I don't know. Are they? No. They're just made up. Yeah. Or Wonderland. They're, or they're in a very vague place mm -hmm. or they take place in a larger place like, oh, in Germany one day or in Bavaria one day. Not like in this town. Right. That actually existed at the time we're saying it did, which is another thing, too, because if you look at the, the actual fairy tale, which we'll get to in a second, there's like a specific date. Yeah. That also is very unusual no, for a, a, a fairy tale. So the more you dig into it, the more you're like, yeah, this might have actually happened. And then once you think, oh, this might have actually happened, then you're struck with some of the greatest dread a human being can experience. <laughs> yeah. Because it's something bad happened is what happened. Yeah. Now let's talk about it. All right. Well, let's get into the original uh, fairy tale, the Grimm's Brothers tale of the Pied Piper. It was <laughs> not, not even a, Irish. Not at all German. <laughs> um, Jane McGrath, good old Jane mm -hmm. from back in the day, wrote this one. Sure. And she points out that it is a, a tale, a cautionary tale about governance as well as taking responsibility for financial agreements. <laughs> She's right, but it, putting it that way seems a little funny. Yeah. But uh, it is 1284 in Hamlin in Germany, and there was a rat infestation uh, in the town at the time, and the mayor— And this is the fairy tale you're going over, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And so the, the mayor of the town didn't know what to do. The Burgermeister. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Meister Burger. Uh, the stranger comes into town and wore, and I didn't know what pied even meant. I didn't either. What is it? Multicolored. Yeah. He wore multicolored clothes, pied, multicolored clothes. That's all he was. He was a piper who wore colorful clothing. Had nothing to do with eating pies nope. or I thought walking on his feet, you know. You thought that's what that meant? Yeah. Why? Because I think like a like pedestrian comes from pied or pied. <laughs> well, but I sure. think it's like maybe Italian or something. That certainly foot. makes more sense than me having no clue. Yeah, but yeah. I was way off, so it doesn't matter. I was he walked. He did walk. So you're kind of right. <laughs> that was the other reason I thought that, too. Uh, so his outfit looked a little weird, apparently. Multicolored. People didn't dress like that, I reckon. I saw, though, that it was also like, um, like a splendid outfit. That he attracted Garish. a lot of attention and people were like, like I wish I could, I wish I had the cojones to dress like you, Pied Piper. And, and dance around with a band flute. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, and he had a, they call it a musical pipe um, or some kind of flute. Not a smoking pipe, no. potheads. No. Uh, and he hears about this rat problem. He comes into town. He, he 
drags his fingernails along the chalkboard and gets everyone attention in the <laughs> town meeting. Yeah. Says, I'll kill that shark. Oh, you got to do it better than that. No, no, no. I'll kill the rats. Yeah, but in the voice. I can't do Quint. Whatever. You can do anything. You're like the That's rich Jerry. little of this, this company. <laughs> Jerry's laughing at us for no reason. She's so sick of this. Man, <laughs> she's really tickled today. Jerry, are you stoned? No. She's been smoking her own magical <laughs> pipe. So uh, they agree on a price mm-hmm. to get rid of the rats. Piper takes out his uh, his little his little hand flute. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if that's what it's called. But the price is important. Can I go into the price for a second? Sure. So he initially said that he would get rid of the rats for a 1,000 florins, which okay. is either coins or m- money from Italy or France or the Netherlands. But money, yeah, a thousand, a lot at the time. A thousand pieces of money. And this this town of Hamlin was so overrun by rats. Apparently, all their cats had died. That, Whoa! Yes, they they got they beat the cats. So I didn't see explained what happened to the cats. Just that the cats died, and that's why the town was overrun. Okay. Which is a weird little thing, don't you think? Well, yeah, because my first thing was like, why a Pied Piper just get some cats? The cats had all died. All right. Good thinking, Chuck. Um, but they, they say a thousand florins, we'll give you 50,000 florins if you get rid of these rats. Our problem is so bad. Mm -hmm. And he says, done. But was that a facetious uh, offer? I think it was a desperate, a desperate boast. Okay. But the Pied Piper was like, all right, I'll agree to your terms. I just wanted a thousand, but 50,000 it is. (laughs) And they went, I think we overspent. (laughs) I regret saying that. But you should hear the guy. So, uh, he pulls out the instrument. He, um... Starts playing. As right. the story goes, all the rats mm-hmm. congregate around him, mm-hmm. and he leaps about and dances through town uh, into the <laughs> Wesser River, uh, which uh, the rats drowned, which is complete uh, fabrication because rats are very good swimmers. They really are. I thought about that, too. I even looked it up. Yeah. They're good swimmers. Not just rats you've seen. It's rats in general. Yeah. I mean, the first thing, <laughs> honestly, when I heard that, the first thing that made me think that was like, wait a minute, first blood. And he's in that uh, abandoned mine shaft. Uh-huh. Those rats are swimming all over the place. Yeah. So I looked it up. I was like, is that true? And apparently rats are really good swimmers. Yeah. Some I mean, better I've than seen, others. I've seen that too. So this fairy tale stinks of, of BS already. <laughs> okay. But the, the, the story goes that the rats followed this guy in a trance to the river whereupon they drowned. Maybe they were in the trance. And that there was why they couldn't swim because they were just so lulled by his, uh, his hand flute. Yeah. His smooth jazz. <laughs> Should we take a break there and finish the story after? Oh, that's quite a cliffhanger. All right, let's do that. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor. Gene, was we'll it. Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and last hour on the business. I understand now. It's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Gene. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. 
Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Chuck, we're back. Lay it on them, man. <laughs> that was that was high class. Well, they they drown all the rats. Uh, the Pied Piper is successful. Everyone parties German style, which is to say they probably got hammered mm-hmm. on 88-ounce beers. <laughs> you ever been to Germany? Sure. You ever had the beers there, the big, big yeah, guys? Yeah, I mean, they got big old beers there for sure. And they have lids on their, their mugs too because – you know, there's so much of it. You can just set it down, and save it for later. But I don't think they save it for later. The beer garden I went to did not have the lids. Maybe I've just seen those on TV. But what they did have was a, a four and a half foot tall woman with Popeye sized forearms mm-hmm. carrying six of those giant oh, ones in sure. each hand. In each time. hand, sure. Like like a pro, mm-hmm. not like a pro. They were pros. Well, she was probably sold to the beer garden at a young age and was raised <laughs> oh, no. to serve like that. Please tell me that's not the case. Um, all right, so uh, where are we? Townspeople are partying. They're yeah. they're getting hammered. They're singing their their they're prosting, singing their German beer hall uh, songs mm-hmm. as they are one to do. Mm-hmm. And then pink Cadillac. Dude says, uh, "What's up with that? All those Florins." Yeah, he's like, everybody, I'm really glad you enjoyed my work, but now it's time for me to go pay me. And did they just stiff him, or did they say, well, let's go back to the 1,000? Uh, they said, we're not giving you 50,000 florins. What you, we thought you were going to get rid of these rats through hard work. You just played some flute. Like, that's what? cool that you can do that with the flute, but that's not really work. So, no, we're not going to pay you 50,000 florins. He's like... Well, in a thousand florins at least, that's what I originally agreed to. And they're like, "How about this? We're going to give you fifty, and if really? you're not happy with that, then you're getting nothing." And he was still so mad that they're like, "Fine, nothing. Get out of town." And he says, "You will regret this." You know what that's like? That's like hiring the the critter remover because you have a raccoon in your attic. Mm-hmm. You agree to a price. He comes over and shoots the raccoon mm-hmm. and says, "Game over." And you're like, wait a minute! I expected a little more, like uh, like you were going to hypnotize him or, or coax him down from the roof with your smooth jazz, right? Not just shoot it. Anybody could shoot it. I thought you were going to like step on it or something. Yeah, like I would have shot it. <laughs> right. I was looking for a peaceful uh, solution. Right. In <laughs> place, I have a bullet hole in my house now. Have you ever had to call one of those people? A raccoon remover? Well, just you know those dudes. Then uh, it's like, you know, do snakes and raccoons oh, and sure, possums no, or whatever. No. I haven't either. 
But a lot of my friends do that. I'm overrun, I think I mentioned, with cockroaches right now. And it's just, it's getting bad. Still? Yeah, dude. Because I don't know what to do. Hire an exterminator. Yeah, but we're not into the poison stuff. But I think, I think it's like, we got to do it. I think there's green exterminators that are not quite as deadly. Jerry's nodding. But yeah. will they kill all the cockroaches? They'll kill probably, you'll probably have Lavender less, dust? You'll probably, right, <laughs> with their magic flute. I, I need to do something. It's gotten out of hand. Yeah, you got to do something. Like, I, I almost am going to tell you what happens, but I feel like people judge me on how disgusting it is. We can always edit it out later. All right. I'll go in, and, and this is not like, it's not like food is out. I will clean the kitchen. Sure. I will go in there to get a glass of water at midnight, and I'll turn the light on, and a dozen will scatter. Wow. Jerry's going, nope. Like, I will just, I will hear them going, <clears throat> Sure, yeah. That's one of the creepiest things. And they, you know, as soon as they see that light, they're gone. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like we live in filth, but it doesn't matter. We're infested. They're just like, yeah. I, I don't know what to do. Yeah, well, um, I think you may want to call an exterminator, but find one. You live in Decatur. I'm sure you'd be hard-pressed to find an exterminator that did use deadly poison. Yeah, you throw a rock in Decatur and you'll hit a, a lavender hippie. dust yeah, man. <laughs> right. So, I yes, I think it might be time. <sighs> All right. Sorry about getting sidetracked so much. They offer him what? 50? 50. Not even, not 50,000 or 1,050. And so what does he say? He says, <laughs> he did the, the little everybody, you can't see me, but you know where you flick the, the under, under underside of your chin? I feel outward. like that's Italian. Well, I mean, this is Germany. It's lower Saxony. It wasn't too far from Germany. No, but is that Italian? I was just wondering. Yeah. It feels like a very like Italian thing to do. Yeah. Like, hey. Right, exactly. You got to <laughs> say it like that. All right. So he gives him that number and says, I'm going to come back. Does he even warn them and say, I'm going to come back and get your kids or I'm just going to. It depends like, on it's the all, story. It's all good. You'll see me again. It depends on the story. Some say yeah, he vowed vengeance. Some say he came back a month later. Some say he came back a year later. Some right. say he just immediately started playing his flute. Oh. Some say, and I think the Brothers Grimm version, is that he waited until the town went to sleep. And then came through the town and started playing again. All right. But this time he's wearing hunter's clothing. A little I did, ominous. I did not see that anywhere. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Is that BS? Well, I don't think it's BS. I think this story's just been added to oh, so sure. many times okay. over the... But, yeah, I shouldn't have even said anything. All right. So he comes back, regardless of what he's wearing. Let's say he's buck naked, which makes it even more fun. Well, you just added to the legend <laughs> just there. He starts playing this flute again. But this time the children are entranced. Mm -hmm. He leads, uh, how, what, like 130 kids, supposedly? Yeah, pay attention to that number. It seems a little specific, doesn't it? It does. Okay. He leads 130 children out of town, um, up a mountain to a cave. They supposedly enter and are never heard from again. Right, and the mountain has a landslide yeah. and covers up the, the cave mouth. And uh, supposedly it was a magical door that opened in the mountain that revealed the key, the cave. They go in, doors closed, landslide, gone. Never heard from again, like you said. And the townspeople are like, there goes our labor pool. Yeah, there goes my baby. There goes our labor pool. <laughs> Who's going to serve us at the beer gardens? Uh, and supposedly there, uh, in one version at least, um, there was the mayor's grown daughter was among that group. And this feels like a specific mm -hmm. jab at the mayor. Right. Like, even though your daughter's grown, I'm going to, and transfer with my flute as well. Right. Yeah. Which I don't think that was in the original Grimm Brothers one either, but. But two children survive, correct? Or they come back? 
I think in the Grimm Brothers version, it's just one. Sometimes it's up to three, mm-hmm. but there, are, there's in a lot of retellings, there's a kid who either um, is deaf and so can't hear the the magic flute song, oh, so is okay. not entranced. Um, has some sort of physical disability, and so uh, they, he or she can't keep up with the rest of the kids and mm-hmm. survives from that. Um, or uh, I think is blind and can't see their way. Either way, some kid uh, who had some unique characteristic that kept them from being mm-hmm. um, entranced or whatever uh, is the, like the eyewitness that comes back and tells the parents what happened. Or in another version, it's just a skeptic, <clears throat> a right. child skeptic. This can't be happening. <laughs> Lewis, the child skeptic. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's funny. So, uh, all right, so let's get into this. Uh, it may not be fiction, as, as it turns out, because a lot of historians and scholars have looked into this. You talked about the specificity mm-hmm. being a little weird. Uh, one thing we do know is that at one point there was a stained glass window in the, in the town church um, that depicted, and this was, what, around 1300s is after it would have happened. Mm-hmm. But, I mean— 16 years right. in in memory, living memory, mm-hmm. is when they first erected that window. Which kind of makes sense mm-hmm. as a memorial. Uh, and on that window, it said, on the day of John Paul, I'm sorry, John and Paul, mm-hmm. 130 children in Hamlin went to Calvary and were brought through all kinds of danger to the Copen Mountain and lost. Yeah, so the Calvary thing, that I thought was another word for heaven, isn't it? I've gone, I'm going to Calvary. Isn't that what, like, isn't that like the hill where Christ used, was crucified? I used to you know, know this. the answer to this. If I know this, surely you know I used this. to know this. Okay. I know it looms large in, in Christianity, but I can't remember exactly. I how. think it's like shorthand for I'm going to meet my maker. I saw elsewhere that they referred to the mountain as Calvary. Yeah. They also referred to the area that the children went to, Calvary, as the execution place. I never saw any explanation of that. Mm-hmm. And then the Coppin Mountain, I don't understand why that would be also named Calvary, and they would mention it the same place twice with two different names. So That's it's a, a bit weird. of a mystery, but the point is about 15, 16 years after this event supposedly happened or the fairy tale takes place, the town of Hamlin, Germany, in um, Lower Saxony, or Westphalia, I think is what it's called now, put, put up a stained glass window commemorating mm-hmm. this. And the window did not survive, but apparently there are accounts of that window. Yeah. Very, like in more than one place. Yeah, and it was, in, I mean, you can understand that it would be because it was in the town church for hundreds of years before it was destroyed. No one knows how it was destroyed, but there is documentation that this window existed. Mm-hmm. Obviously, no living historian saw it with their own eyes. Sure. But there's enough um, documentary evidence that it seems to be, yes, there was a window that was erected in 1300. That is a very weird thing to do. Yeah, to just make up. Right. Yeah. Very weird. Um, Especially in a church. Yeah. No, you don't lie. No. You go to hell for that. <laughs> so that was that was the first documentary evidence, right? Mm-hmm. The next one I saw comes 100 years later in 1384, and um, it's— in the Hamlin Town Chronicle for that year. It, and all it says is, it is 100 years since our children left. Yeah. Kind of weird. And what is that, just a blurb? I guess so. You'd think 100-year commemoration, they might add a little more than that. 
Yeah, and what is this? The Lundberg Manuscript. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was about a, a hundred years after the window. And this was a monk who wrote it, Heinrich of Hereford. And he says, he writes an account and says, a man about 30 years old came to town playing a flute and led the children out. Yeah. Pretty simple. Yeah, but what's noteworthy about that one, there's a couple of things. Um, so the the piper doesn't show up in the first, in the window. Uh, right. But he does show up in the Lundberg Manuscript. He mentions the piper. But no rats in any of these, right? Not yet. But the other thing about the Lundberg manuscript is that it Lundberg is a nearby town. So there are other towns that are talking about this event that happened. I'm sure we're getting around. In their own chronicles, yeah. right. If it and was real. One of the reasons why, and, but it supports the idea that it's real because yeah. if it's just this one town that's diluted, even if other towns are talking about it, they'll probably be, by the way, they're all nuts. <laughs> yeah. But other towns' chronicles seem to be verifying that this happened or recounting the story in like a credulous way. Mm-hmm. So something happened in 1284, and the evidence is starting to mount. Um, but the other thing about the fact that this is another town is that this town, Lundberg, and other towns um, cited that Hamlin came to be known to commemorate things counting backward or forward from the date of 1284. Mm -hmm. So, for example, they put up a gate in 1556 in the town. Right. This is what they inscribed on the gate, Chuck. Uh, In this year of 1556, 272 years after the magician led 130 children out of the town, this portal was erected. That's like saying, like, this. we're we're putting up this sewer 262 years after (laughs) our children were led out of town by a magician. Enjoy the sewer. Like, yeah. that's a weird thing to, to inscribe in something. And apparently the town became known for that kind of thing. What, just these random uh, inscriptions about this weird, mm. like, mysterious event? Yeah, just like dating everything right. from 1284 on based on their, their children leaving. And again, you'll notice it mentions 130 children. Things changed over the retelling, mm-hmm. but the one thing that's remained the same is the 130 children leaving. Even before yeah. the piper shows up in the story, 130 children are cited each and every time. Yeah, but and what we don't know is that like some symbolic thing, is it all metaphor? Um, should we take a break and get to the theories? Yeah, sure. All right, let's do that. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor! Gene, was bought it! Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. It's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Gene. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Gene, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. 
Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, the theories are varied. Um, One of the common ones make that makes a lot of sense is that there was some disease that killed all these kids mm-hmm. and then this story is some sort of metaphor for what happened to their children and the fact that rats come into play at some point have led people to speculate that it might be the the bubonic plague yeah there's a guy named um count froben christoph von zimmer <laughs> can you say it like that froben no nah, i don't know but i know that that guy will steal your soul in the middle <laughs> of the night if you're not careful right yeah. So Count Froben Christoph von Zimmer, you can only say all of his names. You can't Beware. just say he wrote, <laughs> right. He wrote um, a chronicle in 1565 from another nearby town, and he was the one who seems to have introduced the rats. Okay. And so at that point, the piper goes from just a weirdo magician to a rattenfonger. Yeah, a rat catcher. Yeah. Which was a job. It was. And I mean, like, like this town would have had rats. Any town would have had rats. So it would have been like it's understandable like that the the rats would come into it. And it's not like that's just, you know, a totally outlandish uh, addition to the story. But the fact that it doesn't show up until 1565. Yeah. And this has been documented for hundreds of years up to that point seems a little fishy. And it certainly seems weird that it would have been the plague because the plague hadn't come around yet. Right. Right, and it also seems fishy that it doesn't mention anything about adults and any sort of rat-carrying or diseased rat would seem like it wouldn't just affect kids. No, no. It doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't. But the idea that 130 kids were taken from the town in one form or fashion, yeah, it, 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 you could say, well, it's like some sort of disease. Mm-hmm. One of the other diseases that got um, put up was... Um, Parkinson's, I believe, or no, Huntington's, I'm sorry. Yeah. Which is a stupid theory. Yeah. It's a terrible theory. Huntington's disease is an inherited disease. Yeah, that didn't make any sense. So that would mean that every kid in the town had inherited Huntington's from their parents who apparently weren't showing any symptoms. Who put that forth? I don't know. I couldn't find it, but it's a terrible one. And then the idea that, so it's not infectious, it's rare, and everybody's symptoms coming on at the same time and, and... dying. The reason why they said that, though, is because supposedly um, the uh, the shakes from it, the palsy, mm-hmm. would account for the dancing of the children 
Seems like a pretty dumb thing to zero in That's on. That's a stretch. H- Huntington disease, we're crossing off the list. All right, one of my favorites is that the children left on their own as part of a, one of the Crusades. And apparently, the one thing that doesn't quite align is the timeline, uh, because a few decades previous, there were, in fact, young people, children, probably teenagers, doubt they were like eight-year-olds, mm-hmm. uh, participating in the Crusades. One of them would have mm-hmm. a vision from God and say, you know, we should totally cover the Crusades. I don't think we... No. Have we done that? No, not yet. There's a really good article on the site, too. That'd be a pretty dense single. Yeah, we might have to do two. All right. Two-parter on the Crusades. Coming anyway. at you. <laughs> uh, so, you would, you know, one of those kids would have a vision from God, and then all the kids would follow and say, all right, we're going to take our broadswords mm-hmm. that we can barely lift mm-hmm. and go fight the good fight. Right. So that's one theory. And that's actually a pretty uh, – it's a, that's a little more rooted in reality. Like, yes, there were a children's crusade before documented. It's possible it happened a decade or two later. Mm-hmm. Like, if if it was in the area and well-known, some other kid could have been like, oh, okay, let me try my hand at it. Right. Changes his name to Jim Jones and says, follow <laughs> me to Jerusalem, right? That's right. So that, that one could have happened. It's possible. Um the other one, and this is supposedly the most widely held theory, Chuck, was that this is all part <laughs> of the Ostsiedlung. OS, this is a tongue twister. O-S-T-S-I-E-D-L-U-N-G, which is basically an exodus or a, an eastward expansion mm-hmm. from Germany to uh, Transylvania, Romania area, right. which was being newly settled by... Um, Western Europeans after conquering, like, the whole Dracula era. So the idea is an adult came and said, hey, kids, why don't you come with me and we'll we'll go, like, populate Eastern Europe. Pretty much, right, right. So, um, and there is evidence that this this did, like, this definitely happened, Mm -hmm. right? There was a migration eastward. Right. Um, And the the big thing about this one is that we're misinterpreting the word kids or children, Uh that it could have been the town's children, Mm -hmm. but it's like they're they're children. They weren't kids. They were, you know, young adults who were who would have represented like, you know, a lot of the workforce. So it would have been a big deal. Right. Had they left. So that's a that's I think the most widely held one right now. Well, one of the traditions you're hanging on to is uh, and I kind of teased it with that dumb Bono jerk. Jerk. <laughs> Poor Bono. He's like, slip. what did I do? <laughs> that was a great Bono. Uh, that Bono joke earlier is uh, today still um, the, the street where this supposedly all happened um, is called the uh, Bungalowsenstrasse, street with no drums, street without drums. And to this day, they won't allow people to play music or dance on that street. Right. The, the rest of the town, and including that street, but really the rest of the town, is de- the whole town is dedicated to this legend. Yeah. Um, I thought like, you were going to say dedicated to music and dancing, Well, I'm, except I, for the street. They, they do. There is a musical called Rats <laughs> that's put on in the town, seriously. Um, and there's, uh, there's like a Pied Piper statue and recreations every Sunday in the summer. Really? Oh, yeah. It's a huge tourist town for this. Huh. Um, there's like a, a, I think a rat's blood cocktails that they serve. I saw. There's yeah. like a mental floss article that mentioned that, but um, the town is dedicated to this. But there's there's the fact that they're still talking about it is not just 
legend. Mm-hmm. It's um, it, it it's like they're they're still telling that story to an extent. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, they're I keeping mean, it alive, not just for tourist dollars, right? Because it looms large, <clears throat> because this is their ancestry, right? Well, they they definitely um, there are some more um, theories that haven't gained as much traction. Like there was a pedophile that came. Um, these children were just maybe just simply sent away because they were very poor because that happened. That's my theory. That that was just sort of the regular thing that would happen is we're all so poor, you go away and live a better life somewhere. Yeah, and that's where Hansel and Gretel is kind of rooted in reality, the idea of child abandonment. Remember we talked about that, I believe, in the in one of the fairy tale episodes from before, that like if you fell on hard times, just – Taking your kid out to the woods and being like, best of luck. Yeah. It was a viable thing to do during the Middle Ages. Yeah. And it's possible that this town basically said, it, it'd be like a combination of the guy coming from Romania and saying, mm-hmm. follow me. And the, the parents being like, maybe you should go with him. You right. Know? And then it would explain why the whole thing is written in like such vague, flowery language. To me, that indicates that they're, they're working out guilt. There's guilt by this town. They're uh, vague. That makes sense. They're not direct. Other towns are talking about this legend in much more explicit terms. Mm-hmm. But in the town of Hamlin, it's all very like like flowery and and poetic and vague. And it makes me think they're they're covering something up that they they have to get off their chest, but they're still they 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 can't bring themselves to actually say what it was. Well, that sort of jibes then with um this dude. Uh, he's a children's po- poet named Michael Rosen. You sent that one article. Yeah. He actually went to Hamlin and hooked up with a guy named Michael Boyer from the tourism office there. And Boyer says that uh, he thinks the rats were added. And this this makes sense with your theory was that just sort of an attempt to wash away what he said were bad memories, like a cover up to draw attention away mm-hmm. from this awful thing. They were like, hey, let's tell this rat story. Right. But if you'll notice also in that story with the rats, there there is guilt by the town. The town is guilty of something and they lose their children as a result. Right. So if the rats were actually part of the original story, even if it wasn't documented, even if there weren't real rats, it still is putting some veneer of guilt onto the town. It wasn't something that just happened to them. This thing befell them because they did something wrong. Wow, I feel like there could be a deeper mystery, though. Yeah, I think there is. Like, for real, I think that something really happened in Hamlin in 1284, and they lost 130 kids somehow, and the town was psychically damaged by it. Are you going to title this one Pied Piper colon cold case? <laughs> That's a good one, actually. It's <laughs> not bad. Okay. You got anything else? No. Now I'm, I want to know more. I know. I got sucked into this. I can't remember which of the articles I sent that got me, but I don't remember how I came across it. But it was it was like, oh, I'd never thought of this. And it's not like you can do this with every um, fairy tale. Right. There's, you know, there's, there's probably no Rapunzel and, and probably no Rumpelstiltskin. And Hansel and Gretel's just so vague. It probably happened to multiple children. But <laughs> this one, this happened in Hamlin in 1284. Something happened. We may never know what it was, but 
It's pretty interesting. My mind goes really dark and thinks like, what if there was just a mass murder mm. well, of oh, these parents? One more thing. One more thing. I'm glad you brought that up. So the execution place, uh-huh. the, the Coppin Mountain or Cavalry Mountain, whatever it was, supposedly that was where they buried people too. Oh, that's right. So they were saying that could be code for a mass grave mm-hmm. where they would have buried people, which would suggest a, a mass death. That happened in a short period of time. Man, can you imagine if there was a discovery made of children's bones in a, children. in a mountain somewhere north of Hamlin? That'd be neat. I say north because it's mountains. Oh. I always just think that means they're north. So one more. You keep bringing up this awesome stuff, dude. You ready? I'm ready. They recently discovered, I think they, they discovered it a while back, but they recently publicized it. The The discovery of a, and believe it was, in, it was definitely in Peru. It wasn't Incan. It was one of the Incan's rivals, the Inca rivals. Um, but it was a mass sacrifice of hundreds of kids that all happened on one day, one after the other. Ugh. It was and like they found this and you're reading it and you're like, this probably has never happened in the history of the world. Yeah. Anything like this, nothing like this. I mean, yes, there were probably child sac- or there were definitely child sacrifices, but they would do it like once in a while or something. But imagine a town gone that berserk mm-hmm. that they just let their kids, like hundreds of kids just killed in a day in one area. It was, it's really rough, man. It's, but reading about it, it's, I mean, it's just, uh, it's, it, you can't help but, pull yourself back into that yeah. day and just see it and want to be like, stop, what are you doing? You've lost your mind, you know? And if it happened once, it could happen again. I guess so. You know, maybe the parents were all, uh, maybe they all drank bad beer one day. Yeah. And it made them temporarily insane. That'd be really bad. <laughs> it sounds like a, a Blumhouse movie to come. What is that? It's just that production company that makes a lot of the horror movies now. What, like what? I think they did Get Out, among many others. Good movie. Yeah. Uh, okay, you got anything else now? I got nothing else. Jerry? No. Okay, well, if you want to know more about the Pied Piper and all that stuff, you can type that word in the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. And since I said that, it's time for listener mail. I'm going to call this a double quinceanera reply because we heard from a couple of people with some good insight. Uh, first, Alexandra Long-time listener from San Juan, Puerto Rico. Loved the episode on quinceañeras. As usual, you did a great job approaching a, a cultural uh, tradition that is not your own while providing a balanced information, well-rounded contextualization of the celebration and its influences. She's like, in parentheses, it was the opposite of the vaping episode. <laughs> oh, man. We've gotten beat up about that. <laughs> uh, for my own quinceañera, my mother gave me the option of the traditional coming-of-age party or a trip. What do you think she chose? I'm guessing a trip. Yeah, I would too. I chose to travel and spend a month in Germany the summer I turned 15. Looking back, it's amazing that she trusted me enough at such a young age to travel on my own, although I did stay with family. She's like, it's the greatest regret of my young life. (laughs) I wish I would have partied. Just wanted to clarify a few things you brought up. Um, L-A-T-I-N-X is pronounced, she says, Latin X. Okay. Uh, It refers to those from Latin America or Latin American descent. Hispanic refers to Spanish-speaking persons. Okay. Uh, oh, and your pronunciation of quinceanera was great, nice. as the E-R-A is a soft R sound. Um, no need to read this on the podcast. Yes. Sorry, Alexandra. Uh, and then this other follow-up. Uh, one, uh, this guy says, uh, this is Ty Von Plinsky. 
Jones. <laughs> I recognize that name. I think he's on Twitter or something. Oh, really? Yeah, great name. He's localish. He said, uh, disclaimer, I'm a white person from Georgia, so I have no authority here at all, but we'll be referring to the opinions of actual uh, Latino, Latina, Latinx people I know uh, or have read the writings of. I personally only heard that word pronounced with confidence in the following two ways, Latinx and Latinx. Okay. However, some people say Latinx or Latinx. La- Latinx sounds right because it's Latino, Latina, sure. Latinx. Yeah. That makes sense. Or Latinx rhymes with Sphinx. Um, I don't think that's right. Or something else entirely as evidenced by this Twitter poll. Mm-hmm. And he shared a Twitter poll. Thanks. Which you. was from a media brand for Latino millennials. Uh, interestingly, there appears to be backlash against the term by some who view it as an attempt, intentional or not, to anglicize Spanish. Uh, they say this uh, is part of a larger movement to paint Hispanic, Latino, Latina, Latinx people as sexist and ignorant. The Mexican-American person who introduced me to the term was still sorting out their feelings about the whole situation. Huh. So that's wow, we my... stepped, stepped into a hornet's nest with that. Uh, Ty Von Plinsky. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us like Ty and Alexandra did, uh, you can tweet to us. I'm at Josh Um Clark and at SYSK Podcast and Chuck's at Movie Crush. Uh, you can join Chuck on Facebook at facebook.com slash Charles W. Chuck Bryant and slash Stuff You Should Know. You can send us all an email to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. And as always, join us at our home on the web, stuffyoushouldknow.com. and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love Love at first first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see See what music does to people. It gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi. I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.